Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Anne-Helen Lestadius. On her new novel, Stolen. Anne-Helen Lestadius is an author and journalist from Karuna, Sweden. She is Sami and of Tornedalian descent, two of Sweden's national minorities. In 2016, she was awarded the prestigious August Prize for Best Young Adult and Children's Novel for Ten Past One for which she was also awarded Norland's Literature Prize. Stolen, which we're going to be talking about today, is her first adult novel. An international bestseller, it was named Sweden's Book of the Year and has been sold into 22 territories. And Helen, welcome to Little Atoms. Oh, thank you very much. Can we start by, would you describe the novel for us? How would you describe the novel? Well, it's a story about a young girl named Elsa, who lives in a reindeer herding family. And um, the book begins with her skiing to uh, the reindeers in the forest and seeing a man killing her reindeer. And the book is about reindeer herders who are very much in pain because uh, men are killing their animals and they are um, victims of a lot of Sami hatred. And uh, there is also a lot of other pressures coming on to the the Sami families living high up in the north of Sweden. In the book, you follow Elsa first as a young girl and uh, later on in her 20s. And she is, when she's getting older, she is trying to do something about the reindeers being killed. Because a big problem is that the police aren't doing anything. And uh, they are all very um, sad and uh, mad and uh, the situation is getting worse and worse, but Elsa has a plan. Can we talk about where is Satmi, which is the land of the Sami people, and its borders and how that works? Because its 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 borders are often contingent. They move, basically. They move depending on where the herds are. So it's not like a strict border like of another country. Satmi is an area that is in Sweden, Norway. Finland and Russia. And uh, the borders for Sápmi isn't, as you say, a country, but it is an area where the Sámi live and uh, some of us also have reindeers in this area. But many Sámi also live outside of the area that is called Sápmi because Sápmi is only in the northern parts of Sweden and Norway and Finland and Russia. But you also have Sami people living all over the four countries. But this is the area where they have uh, found traces of uh, Sami uh, like 10,000 years back. So this is our uh, first area, you could say. So Elsa's father, Nils Johan, is part of a reindeer collective and other members 
of the family are part of different collectives or they marry into a different collective, for instance. Um, so tell us what a reindeer collective is and how that works. Yes, it's called Samiby in Swedish, uh, and that uh, could be translated like Sami village, uh, but you can't confuse it with a, a ordinary village because it isn't. It's an area where the reindeer herders have their reindeers, and uh, there are many reindeer herders in one Samiby, and they always have to like count how many reindeers they have because they can't be too many because of the pastures. It has to be enough land for everyone. And uh, in this area, they have uh, their animals uh, at one place in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, they go to another place. And um, in the Samabi, you have uh, the right to vote if you are a Samabi member. And uh, you vote about all kinds of things that is concerning the, the Samabi. And uh, this is also one thing that I describe in the book because uh, Elsa, as a young woman, is having trouble. Uh, getting into the Samibi because it's always uh, like that uh, the men wants other men to come in and be full members. So it's the the men and the sons who are carrying on the traditions. And um, in some places in Sápmi, uh, the young women uh, have to fight for their right to be full members. This has been a very important thing for me to write about. And indeed, and that's something we see throughout the book, Elsa's part in that. And we'll talk about that in a bit more detail a bit later on. So Elsa's family and her father being part of this Reindeer Collective, how has Sami life changed? So the life they're living in this novel, how has it changed? In what ways has it changed from the life of Sami might have been living, I don't know, 50 years previous to that? Well, today the reindeer herders are very affected by the climate changes. So if you go back like 50 or 70, 100 years back, uh, the reindeer herders were much more moving with the reindeers. Uh, today, many reindeer herders are feeding the reindeers in areas where there are like um, behind fences. And uh, they have to do this because of the climate changes. Uh, the reindeers are having so much trouble getting down to the pastures under the snow because it's raining in the middle of the winter, which is uh, absolutely crazy. It has never happened like that long time ago, like 50 years ago. It never rained in December, January, but now it does. And uh, then it becomes snow and ice and the reindeers can't get through it and then the, the reindeer herders have to feed their animals so that is one big change that has occurred and also everything has been is more modern today uh, they use helicopters they use um, like uh, snowmobiles and so it's much more modern today there's a character in the novel robert isaacson who is the antagonist Tell us something about who he is. Well, he's a very mad and um, angry character. He is living in the village and he's, um, he's thinking that he has lost things that he should have. Uh, he thinks that the reindeer herders gets to be out in the land and do uh, and fish and hunt in a way that he can't because he haven't got any reindeers. And this is something that the Swedish government had uh, have decided like uh, about 100 years ago to divide people like this. And this is making him very angry. 
and uh, he's uh, taking out his frustration on the reindeers. So he kills them, he tortures them, and he gets away with it. Uh, because uh, in Sweden, uh, if you kill a reindeer, it's only considered as a theft. And a theft is a minor crime. Uh, so the police won't make any effort to catch the one who is doing it. And um, But he really hates the, the Sami people, but he, he can't go out and shoot a Sami, but he can kill the reindeers. And uh, so he does it. And uh, his neighbors are afraid of him. No one dares testify about what they know. But Elsa knows because uh, she has seen him as a young girl and... Uh, she wants to do something, but she's also very, very scared because this is a very scary man. And um, um, sometimes people ask me, is there really that kind of uh, men up in the north? And I say they are everywhere in Sweden. Uh, these kind of men that are like uh, envious in many ways or just um, not coping with the world changing and they're not in top of the <laughs> hierarchy anymore. So I think they are very dangerous and uh, they act out their frustration in many different ways. And uh, in these areas, in my hometown, they are doing this stuff. Uh, they are killing reindeers. Indeed, the book is based on a number of real-life incidents, killings of reindeers that happened. Tell me something about your research into these real-life incidents. I started like seven years before I started to write the book. I was uh, following reindeer herders at social media, and I saw the pictures uh, of reindeers being killed and tortured. And I also have uh, cousins who are reindeer herders. My mother is uh, born and raised in a reindeer herding family. So this is very close to me. And um, I started to do interviews and I went out to the forest with the reindeer herders. And they told me some really sad and heartbreaking stories about how it feels to find their reindeers tortured or dead. They also talked about the difficulty to tell your children what is going on. And um, that is also why Elsa doesn't really know what is happening before she sees the man that just has killed her reindeer. Uh, because you don't want to tell your children, you don't want them to get scared, but sooner or later you have to tell them what is going on. And uh, as soon as they go to school or so, they, they are noticing that there is some kind of Sami hatred going on. So so they know. But yeah, so and then um, I met this young woman who is a reindeer herder. Her name is Sarah. And she gave me 100 police reports that her Sami bee had made for several years. And the police hadn't done anything. And when I read these reports, it came very obvious to me that this, I have to write about this because it's just not... It's just not fair that someone is doing 100 police reports and nothing is happening and the reindeers is still getting killed today. Uh, so this is an ongoing problem. So when I had talked to her, I started to write. And uh, it was kind of hard to write this story because I, I remember all the reindeer herders that I met, the one who was crying and the, the one who was so scared that their children wouldn't have the the strength to carry on their tradition. And so I felt like I had quite a burden on my shoulders to do this right. And uh, that's also why I did such a 
uh, like research for many, many months uh, and even a year, I think, uh, to be as correct as possible. And I let the reindeer herders also read everything before the book was published. And uh, yeah, it has been very touching to hear them read because many of them say that I almost can't read it. It comes so close to me and it's so hard to see it in a book. But at the same time, they're very happy about getting their story told because this is something that people don't know about in Sweden either. Out in Europe, I guess nobody knows this, but even in Sweden, people are not aware of what is happening. So when my book came out, I got so much messages on social media from people who are so upset saying, this is awful. How can this be happening? Why aren't the police doing anything? Why aren't the government changing the criminal classification? So this would be called like hate crime or animal cruelty or whatever. I think the research has been very important uh, so that the book could be as uh, specific and correct as possible. So Elsa witnesses at the very beginning of the book Robert Isaacson killing her own reindeer, a reindeer that has a name. And this obviously has a deep effect on her that carries through the rest of the book. But she, in the immediate aftermath, she doesn't say anything. She can't name him. Tell us something about Elsa's reaction. Well, she gets very, very scared. And uh, because he threatens to either kill her or her family, she doesn't know, but he, he makes a sign that make her understand that if she talks about what she has seen, he will do something awful to them. So she's like terrified. And her older brother, Matthias, is trying to make her talk about it and make her tell who she saw. She has decided to keep it quiet. Uh, she has the reindeer's little ear because Robert cuts off the reindeer's ear and she saves this ear and it's kind of a comfort to her to sometimes pick it up and uh, like feel it in her hand and remember Nastagallo as her reindeer was called. Um, but most of the time she's really frightened. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Anne-Helen Lestadius, and we're talking about her novel Stolen. And Anne-Helen, I want to talk about some of the ways in which the Sami people have experienced prejudice. Um, To begin with, in England, I would imagine if I asked anybody to say the indigenous peoples of, of northern Scandinavia where do they live? Most people would probably say Lapland and, you know, the place where Father Christmas comes from. And in the book, if Robert Isaacson calls a Sami person a Lap, that is a derogatory term. It's a slur. So let's talk about why. Where does that term come from? Yeah, that is from when the government decided to divide people and uh, decided that only the Sami who had uh, reindeers were to be called Sami. So a lot of Sami people lost their rights and their identity. And at that time, there were also a politics that was called in Swedish, Lapp ska vara Lapp, uh, and it's kind of Lapp should be Lapp. And they um, started special boarding schools in the 19, uh, 1917, maybe. Or at first, in 1917, they started schools in the tents uh, that were uh, up in the mountains where the reindeer herders were. But in the 1930s, they started boarding schools where there were houses. And um, the children were taken from their families at seven years old. And uh, there at the schools, they were very much mistreated. And they were forbidden to speak Sami and they were to be ashamed of their culture and they were beaten and they were told that they were lesser worth people. Um, And this is also coming back to a time where race was very important in the 1930s. uh, And there were scientists going around in these areas measuring heads on adults and children and uh, by by it uh, concluding that if you look like this, if you look like a Sami, then you are of a lower race. And the Laps uh, were considered of a lower race. So this word has a very bad ring for us, and uh, we don't use it. And uh, if someone calls us that, it's really, really bad. And uh, But this was a way for the government to separate us from the Swedes and make us uh, people who were lesser worth. Uh, so 
sadly enough, some people still use this word and uh, it's still there. But um, most of us object uh, if we hear it and uh, we talk about this history because this is also one thing that many people aren't aware of. What the government did and the boarding school was just uh, so terrible. It made a lot of children be like scared when they were grown up themselves and had children. They didn't dare teach their children Sami because some of them were ashamed of who they were because they were taught to be ashamed now. And some of them were afraid that their children will be uh, badly treated at school. Uh, so uh, sadly enough, this was also my mother's choice. Uh, she was one of them who was taken from her family at seven years old and put to this boarding school. And when I was born, she decided to not teach me Sami. And this is the biggest sorrow in my life, that I don't have my mother's language. Um, but she thought uh, she made the best uh, of the situation. She thought that she was protecting me. Um, but when I was growing up, the, the nomadic school, the boarding schools, they didn't exist anymore. Uh, so there were no danger of me having to go there. But still, when I started to go to school, then I quickly discovered that the Sami children were being bullied and called lap and, and so on. So I was quite scared. And uh, then I suddenly like realized why my mother didn't want me to speak Sami. She was afraid that I was going to be hurt in some way. So there's a very long and sad story concerning this word. And um, yeah, the boarding schools have really affected us a lot. And I think a lot of the mental illness that you see in the Sami people today comes from this time. Uh, the boarding schools and also these scientists who told us that we were bad people. And indeed, you mentioned in the um, in at the beginning of the book, there's an author's note that you have a personal connection to that as well. That your ancestor was a man called Lars Levi Lestadius, who was one of those scientists. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, or he wasn't a scientist; he was a priest, but he helped the scientist. Uh, he helped the scientist to uh, to dig up the human skulls that they needed to like do the measurements and. Uh, say if it if it was a Sami and uh, or if, what kind of person it was, and uh, this was really really bad because they opened up graves, many graves, and uh, many of them are still missing. Uh, but today they are trying to get them back because they ended up at museums and so on. So they are in Sweden, most of them. Uh, but we still haven't gotten all of them back yet. But it's really strange to have um, this kind of two sides, that I have my Sami side, and then I also have this other side with Lars Levile Stadius and the things that he did. But um, yeah, what can you do? You don't choose your ancestors. But I think it's important to to tell this story also, that even the priests were helping the scientists to prove that the uh, Sami people were a lower race. Who else's story and her aunts and, and her mother, a mother being an outsider who has who has come in and, and has married in to a reindeer collective. We see some of the, the roles that women play in Sami life. Tell us something about what was the role of women. Uh, well, if you go far enough back, then the whole family was traveling with the reindeers. 
So uh, it's like the, the later decades that it's mostly the men that goes away with the reindeers, but all of the family is helping out when it's time to do the marking of the calves or when it's time to uh, separate uh, the reindeers before uh, in the wintertime. Uh, so I think the women are very much involved. The whole family is very much involved. And that's also why the reindeer killing is so hard because it's concerning the whole family, not only the men. But then the men are the ones who are more active and being out in long periods. And then the women are staying at home, taking care of the children and the home and everything uh, concerning that. Uh, so it could, it can be very like separate lives in that matter that the, the men are doing one thing and the women are doing another. But they always get together for the big happenings as the calf marking. Uh, so I think, um, well, they get used to this. It's a kind of living that they know from the start that this is how it's going to be. I hope that more women will take place in the Samabi as a full member, as Elsa wants to do in the book. But it is hard. Uh, I would say in the southern parts of Sapmi, I have heard that it's easier for uh, uh, women to get in and be a full member of the Sami collective, uh, but in the northern parts, it's um, kind of still, yeah, more traditional where they choose men and the sons to pass on the traditions. One of the things we see the women in the book doing is making clothing, um, and there's particularly something which I'm, I'm probably not going to pronounce correctly, but a, a, a gak tea. Yeah. Um, what is that? Oh, that's the traditional Sami dress that we wear. And in the book, Elsa is uh, sewing together with her mother. And uh, her mother is very cautious. They have to do it right. All the ribbons has to be right. And Elsa, she wants to do it a little bit different, use a little more glitter and silver and so on. But that's not okay because it's very traditional and very important that the Gakti is looking as it should do in in this um, specific area because the Gakti is looking different depending on where you live and what family you come from and so on. Uh, so this is a very important dress for us uh, that we use mainly when it's like, you know, weddings and big uh, festivals or something like that. Uh, but in some villages, they wear the Gakti even on a average Monday. So it's um, it's a little bit different depending on where you live. But it's very important for us because it's showing who you are, what area you come from. And so, um, yeah, I uh, just recently got uh, a new Gakti son for me. And uh, it's always very special to put it on and uh, to have it uh, among people. And uh, you feel you feel like one in a big collective because you are all the same in a way. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of tradition behind this uh, handicraft. And just one more thing, and then I'll ask you to, to read a bit of Stolen for us, if you would. You mentioned also in the um, in the introduction to the book that growing up, there the wasn't necessarily books around the house and, and there is much more of an oral storytelling tradition amongst the Sami people. To what extent do you think that still has an influence on your writing, not just this book, but the uh, the books for children and young adults? Oh, it has meant everything to me. My mother has always been telling me stories since I was a little child. 
and uh, they were like great stories for other people maybe a bit supernatural but for us they were real true and uh, I love them all and I saved them and I heard them so many times that they stayed in my mind so I have used them all I would say in my books in some way or another uh, like in the book uh, in Stolen Elsa is uh, lying down in the snow, screaming for the Northern Lights. And uh, I did the same when I was a little girl. And my mother came running out on the balcony, just shouting, are you crazy? You have to come in. That's absolutely dangerous. You can't do that. And that was something she had forgotten to tell me. And that is something that's really stayed with me, that I did something so wrong and I didn't even know it. Uh, so all these stories are a way for us to uh, remember things that has happened and places that are important, nature's phenomena that is important. So, uh, yeah, the storytelling is uh, the most important thing for me when I'm writing. And uh, I still have a few stories left that I want to tell, but many of them are also sacred in a way. So you have to handle them carefully and tell them in the right way, I think. And so to finish off, can I get you to read us a bit? Yes, absolutely. So I choose to read from the first chapter. Elsa has got new skis and uh, she has gone by herself uh, to the forest where they have the reindeers. The sound of a snowmobile starting up halted her in her tracks. Such disappointment. She wasn't the first one here after all. The snowmobile was idling she pushed off with her poles, almost silent, then grabbed the trunk of a pine and peered around it. It was him. She never said his name. In his mouth, between taut lips, was something soft and downy. In his hand, a bloody knife. Elsa squeezed her pole so hard, her cold knuckles ached inside her mittens. He took the piece of ear from his mouth and stuffed it into the pocket of his grimy yellow pants the kind road construction workers wore. The wide, reflective strips flashed as he passed in front of the snowmobile's headlights. The dead calf lay next to the fence, just outside the coral. He bent down, for what? To take it with him? Her throat betrayed her, and he looked up. His eyes were searching, quick and deft, until he found her. Maybe he wouldn't recognize her with her silver hair. It looked like he was swearing, stomping toward her in his boots. His tongue bulged behind his upper lip, pressing against the snooze to release the nicotine. Then he grinned and pointed at her, holding an index finger to his thin lips, shh, before drawing his finger across his throat. Death. She knew that that meant death. He went back to the snowmobile, took a pair of black gloves from his pocket and swung his leg over the seat. He was unaware that he had pulled out more than just the gloves. The small downy ear fluttered through the air and landed in the snow. It bore the mark that proved the calf belonged to their herd. He revved the engine, releasing the stench of exhaust, but also something undefinable that made Elsa's nose crinkle. She skied on shaky legs to where the man was last standing, removed her mitten and picked up the ear. She wiped the snow away and got blood on her palm. It wasn't the whole ear. He'd cut off just the outermost part where the marking was. 
She glanced at the dead body by the fence. It was Nastegallo, Elsa's reindeer. The white patch between her eyes and her unusually long legs. Drops of blood covered her soft fur. Elsa's reindeer, without her earmark to show where she belonged. Elsa couldn't cry, couldn't scream. There was a frightening clamor in her head. The thought that one day she would kill the man who did this. So I've been talking to Anne-Helen Lestardias. We've been talking about her her novel Stolen, which is translated into the English by Rachel Wilson Boyle and is out in the UK from Bloomsbury Books. Anne-Helen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you very much. It was so fun. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89Up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening.